0: Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, along with J.J. Cooper. I'm John Manuel, live from the Baseball America podcast, Nook. want to remind everybody that the 2012 Baseball America books are out. We've got the directory coming back from the printer soon. Prospect handbook is out. Obviously, the almanac is out. All those are available available at baseballamerica.com store. Remember, if you order your prospect handbook from us, you get the 31st prospect as well. We go one louder and for every club. So 936 scouting reports, J.J.,
1: and uh, Top 100 Prospects Issue, free. And if you're already a subscriber, you get an extra issue, free.
0: I I not remembered that, so that's outstanding. So if you, uh, there are many, many benefits to ordering the handbook from us, and if you uh, haven't already done that, I still encourage you to do that. Uh, it's the fastest way to get your Baseball America Prospect Handbook, the Top 100. We have had the meeting. We've determined the Top 100. Uh, we're not going to release that until we release we the have, Hounds next week, basically, right? No, uh, two weeks. The following Monday. It's Tuesday. Like following days. Tuesday. Following Tuesday. I guess it's like Monday 12, is 13 college days. baseball day. Forgot about that. We actually cover other things other than the minor leagues here. So, uh, the draft, uh, early draft preview. That's all been released. So we're in kind of almost like a lull for the prospect for the uh, for the podcast here. JJ but there's a continuing baseball news that and and, and some uh, some of its news you can't get anywhere else and that is that we also cover affiliation shuffle and that's actually a category one that will probably be eliminated in the next iteration of baseballamerica.com but right now there is a category of the affiliation shuffle and we've got some affiliation change news going on in the last week or so jj we have the carolina league looking to move a franchise essentially from lynchburg to lynchburg virginia to wilmington north carolina where the atlanta braves Want to get back in the business of owning their high class A affiliate,
1: which they already own their AAA, their AA, and their low A, so and their Appy League, so. right?
0: So they're just they just uh, making and their everything uniform.
1: GCL, they're pretty much they they would own them all then.
0: They would own their whole, and that's what they used to do, right? And the departure from that was in the back in the day it was the Durham Bulls. That was the uh, the one change, and they, the Durham Bulls moved to Myrtle Beach, and the Braves were fine with not owning that high class A affiliate while it was being run. Um, really to their benefit in, in Durham and in Myrtle Beach. But then when Chuck Greenberg, uh, who owned the team down in Myrtle Beach, became part of the Texas Rangers ownership, that switched to the Rangers. Of course, now Chuck Greenberg is no longer part of Rangers ownership. But the Braves, instead of trying to go back into Myrtle Beach, they are being proactive, basically buying that team along with Mandalay. And they want to move that franchise from Lynchburg to Wilmington. And then we have the other news of the, possibly the end of the road for the Binghamton Mets. Who would be moved from Binghamton, New York, to Ottawa? Then Ottawa would become the Blue Jays' AA affiliate, and so the Mets would need a new affiliate. Presumably, they could go to New Hampshire, where the Blue Jays uh, currently have the the New Hampshire, formerly the New which, Hampshire. Which actually,
1: that wouldn't work out bad for the Mets at all because the, no, the Fisher Cats are a, a
0: strong, a pretty t- a
1: pretty strong franchise. So that would be not not a bad not bad news if you're if you're the Mets.
0: So, JJ, let's talk about the prospect side of this first, and then we can talk about maybe the business side of it. But the prospect side of it is interesting, in that to me, the way it matters is when minor, when major league organizations uh, have a when they're when they're well run and they're organized and they're competent, uh, minor league affiliates want to be affiliated with those major league organizations. That's how you had the Orioles get kicked out of Rochester. You know, they were no longer competent, no longer easy to work with. And that was a problem. So the the city of Rochester, they matter. Uh, the the Red Wings matter to the city of Rochester. It's a community owned uh, team. You have Naomi Silver running that franchise. I think her dad you know ran the franchise for 30 40 years. It's a family run franchise, and it's a community oriented franchise. When the when the Twins lost for two years there, I just wrote this column recently. When the Twins had back to back brutal seasons there, Tom Nieto was fired. The manager was fired. Uh, and uh, they've made big-time moves to try to a lot of six-year free agent signings to try to make that team better. Um, So I do think it matters from a prospect standpoint. You like to see an organization, I I think, A, you like to see their their teams be fairly compact geographically, and that makes it a good sign for an organization when they have all their teams. It's easy for an organization to evaluate its own prospects. That's the key, as we talk about all the time, is being able to know what you have. But I think it also is a good sign when, when you're wanted. It just means that you run competently and you run in a a professional manner.
1: It, I think there's even a bigger aspect, which I'll, I'll emphasize the negative here for a minute, which is the worst... More, It's worse to be put in a bad situation. Yeah. There are not a whole lot of bad situations out there, but if you end up in one of them, it really can impact your player development. And the, the, That's a great point. The, the way I think of this is, is you can... Trace this over the last, really, 10 years. There are too, too many teams in the California League right now. Correct. By any, if you were, if you had the magic wand and you could just fix things, you know, if you want to fix minor league baseball, the first thing you would do is you would wave your wand and two teams would pull out of the California League and they would end up in the Carolina League. Correct. And the reason I say this is for multiple reasons.
0: Not just because we're in North Carolina and we want teams in Wilmington and Winston. Yeah. We do, but but, but that's the not reality why.
1: The, the main reason being, if you just over the last 10 years there's no other way to describe this but it's a game of musical chairs. The affiliation shuffle every 2 years is a game of musical chairs. And what that what it ends up happening is is the music stops. And someone ends up in Bakersfield or High Desert. Or, That's right. And and it's bad enough. Or the best way I can put it is, is, it's bad enough that you see now that the Braves are buying, you know, Lynchburg, and they're going to move it because then they're they're safe. The Red Sox bought an affiliate. They bought Salem, Salem s- s- simply to make sure that they did not endure another 2 years in the California League like they had just done before that. They were
0: a, 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 an affiliation that almost ruined say Daniel Bard. Yes. <laughs> an affiliation that made an internet star of Bubba Bell. Right. Yeah. It, it it was
1: you don't want to be out there in a especially if you're an East Coast team. Right. Because the California League is is more difficult for one from a development standpoint because there are some parks out there that are Outlandish would be the best way to put it, as far as what the num- what they do for offensive numbers. It can ruin pitchers. And, yeah, absolutely. But beyond that, you also have Bakersfield, which the the Reds. I, I would say, if you said who who ended up when the music stopped, lost out last time, it was the Reds, because the Reds ended up in Bakersfield, which everyone involved says, you know, this is a bad situation in Bakersfield. Right. This ballpark does not meet the standards. The, you know the professional, the PBA standards. It it's not a situation that's going to get better. Uh, I mean, there the you've had the California League president has said that this is essentially. Uh, he didn't say exact these words, but pretty much it's a disaster.
0: And hey, the real problem is up you the have, market. It's a good market. You have an, in, you, have so an you have an infield there.
1: You have an you have an infield there that basically is like infields were in baseball back. Fifty years ago, where yeah, you,
0: it's dangerous for the players. At never, times. not every hop is true. And then you had my favorite uh, incident in baseball in the last couple. I guess it was two years ago in 2010, might have been 2009, where a game in Bakersfield had to be delayed and then eventually like postponed because of high winds, and the winds were so high they were kicking rocks. Into the stadium, like they were whipping rocks around in the infield and the outfield. Both game rocks around in the infield and also blowing the, rocks. Yeah, game delay blowing rocks because of what was happening from the the wind was picking up rocks from the parking lot. Then you also have you have High Desert, you have Lancaster that through no fault necessarily of those franchises, right? And those are it's it's bad. It's it's very difficult to develop prospects there because of the winds, the the offensive nature of the ballparks. A and B, you know, this is maybe a more of a transient issue. But those are areas that have been really hard hit by the economic downturn the last three years and the uh, high uh, numbers of foreclosures, high, high concentration of foreclosures. So you really have three teams that are in trouble really in the Cal League. You'd like to have the Bakersfield market, but the Bakersfield ballpark is the biggest problem. And they're not getting a new ballpark. And they're not getting a new ballpark. You look all over Cal, just look at the NFL, as powerful as the NFL is. It has just so, you know, sodden with money the NFL is. All the worst stadiums in the NFL are in California. The 49ers, the Chargers, all of them. There's no t- no team in Los Angeles because of stadium issues. Um, Oakland. Oakland's
1: still sharing a stadium. With, it's yeah. brutal.
0: So, and, and that's just because it's just so hard. And you look at the, the baseball stadiums that were built there, the Padres, it took forever and a day for them to get Petco Park. The Giants have a privately funded ballpark, and, they, and it saddled them with some debt. But obviously, that investment has been worth it for them. Um, you know, the Dodgers uh, have been there forever. But you know, if they were to sell, well, you just see the value of Dodger Stadium in the in the talks trying to sell the Dodgers. I mean, they're valued over a billion dollars, and I, they, I think one of the biggest reasons is Chavez Ravine. So, uh, you know, it, 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 the the stadium situation. In professional sports in California, tied to the economy, there is such that these Cal- there's not going to be new Cal League ballparks. Right, even Valse- the Padres, the, is an older,
1: one. I was going to say the Padres were trying to, right, to, to essentially do this. Yeah, they were trying to move their AAA franchise, and they can't get a they can't get a stadium.
0: They, they can't get any public funding when the right. state's basically broke. Right. You and you're and not you know get what? I am not funding. even
1: let, let's not you know go in the political spectrum on this, but the reality of it is is that I am not even saying that's a bad. Like if you are saying we can't pay the bills it's probably not a time to say and by the way here's 30 million for your stadium
0: i'm actually in favor of no public fund right. money for these things the, but, the giants are a great example of especially in the nfl <laughs> these teams are all making money they should if they invest then they should get the benefits of but, that investment down the line
1: but what it does mean though is is that realistically i i really kind of my first reaction when i heard the news that the that the braves were looking at putting a team in wilmington my first thought was that okay well that that's going to be the We'll have Wilmington. We'll have Kinston, and that'll bring two Cal teams, Cal League teams, over. Like to to put it on the prospect standpoint again. Look at the Reds right now. Okay, Billy Hamilton clearly does not need to go back to Low A. Right. You know, he doesn't need to steal a hundred bases in the in in, in, Midwest, League in Midwest League again. At the same time, very unlikely to say that he's really ready to make the jump to Double A. I
0: would say he's not ready to make. That I jump. would say
1: that that would be. So if you're the Reds...
0: I also don't want him sliding 150 times a year in these ballparks in Bakersfield. I don't want him be missing a week because of a rock in his jersey when he slid. And or cut a, him a bad hop at
1: shortstop that took off his head. And that's... Yeah. And that's the that's the difficulty of this is that
0: playing on the bad th- infield might actually be good for him. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> you know, it might teach you to have better hands. Uh, there's an argument for that, but it, it but it, I, I think it, it it was a bad it, it affects your development. And like you said, it was the last team standing in the game of musical chairs is the one that, that gets stuck in some of these Cal league affiliates. And it would be tremendous, I think, if minor league baseball, like you said, if no. Pat O'Connor, the president of MILB, could wave his wand, two franchises from, franchises from the Cal league would go to. Uh, the the Carolina League. I do think the other, the other the thing other, you'd love, J.J., would be a double-A league further to the West, but that's just not realistic, I don't think.
1: But, and the other thing with that is, as we touched on it at the start, the other reason there needs to be two further teams in the East is that you end up with East Coast teams with teams in the Cal League, right. which from a development standpoint you don't want either because, you said, you would, you would prefer to have your clubs closer to your home team. Correct. You know, now it's not as brutal as it could be because several of these clubs have their their spring training homes are in Arizona. So right. it's not something there is a home base out there essentially. Right. But you, you do see that as well.
0: Well the, and the best the, the one good thing I would say about this geographic realignment a little bit in the minor leagues this off season has been that there's gonna be shorter bus rides for a lot of players. Oh, the, and that's been a lot of these have been pretty good. Like in the Cal League, those shifts to the Carolina League would be good things. And Wilmington you know, a shift from Lynchburg to Wilmington—that's a—that's a bummer for Lynchburg, which sounds like he's going to have uh, something. It's, something they want to have a, at least an Appalachian League team. Um, I would hope not a New York Penn League team because that Aberdeen is pretty far away, and that's the closest New York Penn League team. I suppose I could see a South Atlantic League team eventually. Um, that might make some sense. They fit that footprint, but the the South League's footprint is half the country. That's, um, it's smaller now. It's they, smaller now since they lost what, Bowling Green, I guess, and Lake and County. Lake County. Um, but I could see Lynchburg in the Appy League. I could see Lynchburg also in the Valley League. I could see Lynchburg in the Coastal Plain League. It made more sense in the Valley League um, in the in summer college uh, level. Uh, but th- I, I like the fact that you had also the Carolina Mudcats, even though we're going to miss having double-A really right. close We've... by. That They're moving out of the Southern League into the Carolina League and then Pensacola's in the Southern League. Just from the, the, the standpoint of the players, J.J., uh, you know, it's just, it's cruel and unusual punishment to put to make these guys go from Zebulon to Jackson, Tennessee, and to some of the southwestern there was no parts such of thing. the Southern
1: League. There was no such thing as a good trip. Their the...
0: closest trip was Jacksonville, Florida. So that was just that's, brutal. They there, were there was no
1: such thing as a good trip. And they had been it, orphaned. It, it Really what happened is, and it's been interesting to see this happen, is that that was a case where the league moved away from
0: them. Right, that's right. Other teams used to, they moved. used
1: to fit in the league, but... As the league has kind of shifted, as you see a Greenville, South Carolina go, you know, the Greenville Braves became the Mississippi Braves. As you saw right. um, Charlotte, Charlotte goes go, to up, go, to, go up to AAA, you saw those kind of things happen. What happened is is that you took what used to be a logical geographic group and they all went away. And all of a sudden you turned around if you were the Budcats, and every bus ride is a two day extravaganza. Yeah, every,
0: every single bus ride was like a nine hour trip. Then of course you have your worst case scenario this year, JJ, which is Triple A Scranton, uh, the Yankees' Triple A AAA affiliate, and they are rebuilding the ballpark in Scranton, and that's that's a good thing, that that's great. But the big problem is they they needed a new home, a temporary home, and they wanted to share uh, the ballpark in Newark. I guess with the Newark Bears, which are the Independent Atlantic League, or Can-Am League? Can-Am. Which, and uh, the Can-Am League. That, will give me that won't gonna, be a they, problem. That won't be a problem. It would just would just A one-year hiatus. Yes. Also, New Jersey Tech, which is a Division One baseball program that plays in the Great West Conference, plays at the and Newark Bears ballpark.
1: If you if, you're in, if you want to be independent, we let you in in the Great West.
0: They'd make accommodations. But the Yankees wanted to basically have their team in Newark for a year. And, of course, the Mets said no. Um, and the Yankees said Really? Can we please? And the Mets said no. So apparently really out of spite, the AAA Yankees team instead has to – it's going to be a Vagabond team. They're going to play everywhere all over over basically uh, Rochester, Batavia, uh, all over the International League and and the Northeast. And, JJ, this is really going to affect – their AAA team is going to be pretty good because they've got – here's a projected rotation for their AAA team – Dallin Batances, Manny Benuelos, David Phelps, D.J. Mitchell, Adam Warren. Two That's... of these guys are their top two prospects pitching-wise. And then the other three guys are good, solid, 4A-type guys who I think, could, if, if everything struck right, they could be back-of-the-rotation starters or good big-league middle relievers. If not, they're going to be long-time AAA veteran pitchers. Those guys are good professional pitchers. And uh, all five of those guys, in one definition or another, are prospects. And – uh, they'll have Austin Romine more than likely as their starting uh, catcher. They could have Brandon Laird, who was the Eastern League MVP in 2010, that on that the... roster. But they did not. But but you look at their trip. If you use your Major League, uh, your Minor League free agent tracker, go to BaseballAmerica.com and uh, go on the Minors tab. Hover over the Minors tab and the Minor League free agent tracker. Which pops is a great up. tool. It's an awesome tool, and you look at the six-year free agents they signed this off-season. It's a pretty ugly list. I'm really surprised. I guess Hideki Okajima is gonna to try to make the big league club, but if he accepts a triple A trip to Scranton, he better at least have Key Gawa's driver. <laughs> um but you got you have Doug Bernier, Matt Daly, Grant Duff, Bill Cole Garner, Preston Maniley who won't be a triple A, Gustavo Molina, Jason Nix. It's not a great list of triple A veterans, JJ and so they're they're hey, they're good prospects. The, the name on
1: there that I'm intrigued by is, is I, I just want Adam Miller to one year show oh, enough yeah. show enough left still that he can make one more prospect list cause
0: 27 years old, the former uh, Indians right hander who still throws hard. I just don't think he throws well. So, but if
1: he if he ever could, then that would be because I think Miller first popped up on the uh, prospect list in 2003. In 2003. So he could he could have a an incredible run of the number of top. Thirty lists he
0: made through 153 innings for Akron in 2006, and it looks like he's thrown about 100 since then. So 150 since then. So uh, we wish Adam Miller health, but yeah, he's an interesting Yankee minor league free agent signee. But the point is to me is that those young prospects are not going to have a lot of great support because, from veterans. Because why would you sign if as you're a Yankees veteran? AAA you have a player? choice. That's right. If you you're don't a, have, if
1: you're a prospect, you don't have a choice because they're just telling you you're going here. But if you're a vet, if you're a minor league vet who's a free agent. There are there are better opportunities out there.
0: Yeah, and that's that's one of the lesser opportunities. So, uh, you know, it, it's, I think it's everyone would like to play for the Yankees. You know, it's a good organization to play for. If you happen to get on the big league team, you're going to go to the postseason you can go along for a nice ride. But boy, it's, uh, the chances of making that roster are lower. And this year, it's going to be hellacious travel. So, uh, some interesting stuff uh, from my standpoint this year uh, on the minor league affiliations. JJ, and you are a Georgia native. And there's been no state really that's been affected as much by franchises moving around as Georgia. When JJ and I did not know each other, we happened to be in the same press box yeah, at the F- 1995 was it L- 95, Sally, 95 All-Star, Sally game? All-Star
1: game, which was amazing. It was an amazing say. game. Vladimir Guerrero Andrew and Jones. Andrew Jones in the same outfield together.
0: Yeah, and I think they were in the same uh, home run derby. Like where the finals were like those two guys. The semifinals were those two guys. I think. Uh, was Derek Gibson in the semifinal? I think so. And I Ron mean, Wright, maybe? Captain Caveman, Ron Wright. Um, I, I think Russell Brana might have been in that year as well. That league was loaded that year. It was a privilege to cover the South Atlantic League in, in 1995. It was, with,
1: back the then, Albany, was in the, with the Albany Polecats. It was the
0: Albany Polecats home stadium in Albany, Georgia. You had Columbus. It was in that league, the Columbus Red Sticks. Make-A-Braves. Uh, Make-A-Braves. Savannah, Sand Nats. So and Savannah and Augusta are still in the league, and obviously Rome has come into the league you've had a lot of these other school uh, teams that have left, Macon and, and uh, Macon Albany Columbus and Columbus. And Albany. Those three are chief among them. Uh, what do you think the chances are of Ottawa succeeding, JJ? I mean, like, uh, Ottawa had a Triple A franchise, and they left, and they're going down the Double A. sounds like the stadium needs some work. That, Will being a Blue Jays affiliate be enough for Ottawa to succeed?
1: Well, it, it really, I think it comes down to the, the definition. You've got to put a definition on what's success. And that's what's been interesting to see is that, there are two different kinds of success in minor league baseball now. I think you have these a small group of clubs that just are are giant money makers. Right. And Dayton. those, you know, Dayton. I mean, Round Rock, Sacramento. Sacramento. You, know, you have these clubs where it's it's printing money.
0: Sacramento, by the way, deserves a lot of credit for being a California city that built the new ballpark. Invested a lot there, and they've done a tremendous job with that franchise. That's an exemplary franchise in the minor leagues.
1: But So there's that level of success. And you, maybe there's some other team that's going to find a market like that, and, but those aren't out there very often. No. And it also you've got to hire the right GM. There's all, you've got to put it all together for that. Then there's the success, which is we do okay. Right. I think Ottawa has a chance to be a success from the standpoint of we do okay.
0: We draw enough that to not be a red ink, right, not be in the red all the time.
1: Right, your your ownership hopes that appreciation, you know, franchise appreciation means eventually you make some money on it right. and all. But on a, on a year-to-year basis, you're you're doing okay.
0: See that like the majority of minor league franchises, when they make money, the owner if the owners make money off the franchises, when they sell it. Mm -hmm. not by operating it. And that's where it's become a little
1: more difficult in recent years, though, because one of the ways that you made a lot of money on that is is we had that stadium boom.
0: Right, and that's how you built value. You added value to your your franchise by building a new ballpark.
1: Right, and now, or if you didn't build a new ballpark, you you sold your team to someone who put it in somewhere else. That's right. There are less of those opportunities out there now. Significantly less than there were 10 years ago,
0: and and the reason why is the bar is a lot higher to get that new ballpark, and we see that in Wilmington, North Carolina, where they're going to talk about a 30 to 35 million dollar project, a place that has had minor league baseball before. Uh, I think Alan Matthews' old house might still be on the market from when he worked down there for the uh, Wilmington Waves. Before that, it was the Port City Roosters, where uh, uh Steve Bryant, who runs the Carolina Mudcats, ran a my affiliate for the Mariners for two years to keep that team from being relocated to Puerto Rico. So that's my question, JJ's I, I, those are possibilities down the line would be uh foreign, if uh, for international outposts and maybe even Caribbean outposts and maybe down the line, Cuban teams like Havana used to be in the international league. Um, Cause you see the diminished interest in winter ball. If I see that, Diminished interest in winter ball, so maybe the better answer is to have minor league you know, teams in minor league baseball that are located I, in Santo Domingo, the Dominican but, Republic, or in Havana or that kind of I, thing.
1: I don't. I, I, I'll disagree. Field that just from the standpoint of. Well, I said maybe. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> but but so much now of it is trying to, at the big league level, what they want more than anything is is that what they're every year at the winter meetings is travel, travel, travel. Right. That being the case.
0: You're talking about flights there, no doubt.
1: Well, and you know, so what you're talking about right then, if you're talking about flights, then what you're talking about is the AAA club, essentially. Right. Well, even then, you're looking at travel cost, diff, the, 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 the customs.
0: Interna- we're at the southern end of the International League, so that'd be a t- tough trip. we in, in the International League South: Durham, Norfolk, Charlotte, Gwinnett. Those are all bus trips uh, for those teams. That's the only time. They, that's the times they don't fly. Those mm-hmm. are bus trips. Well, those are interdivision games where you can add a southern tier of the International League where you have Havana, uh, right. San and that's Juan, where I don't Domingo. Think... I don't think it's realistic. I'm just saying i 20, 30 years, they've even down the line. That's where, where I could even possibly see that because uh, I don't see how there are not a lot of other places to move domestically. But I do think Ottawa will be very interesting because there's no full-season affiliates in Canada anymore. Everyone's gone short season, and the only other one that exists – that's, or that's affiliated one of the that's affiliated is Vancouver and all the all the other short, there's no Atlantic League teams in Canada are they No. That's the only kind of full season indie ball team all the rest of indie balls are really short season 80 90 right. games right so right. I lumped them in with short season so um that's why I wonder about Ottawa is really going to try to buck a serious trend uh, where 10 years ago you had Edmonton Vancouver Calgary that were all full season affiliates if you go back 20 years you had like London Ontario and a couple others I I think that were full-season uh, you know, Canadian-based affiliates, but um, not anymore. You, know, you don't have that in Canada, so Ottawa's really trying to buck a trend of being a full-season affiliate. It's the Baseball America podcast with John and JJ. Uh, I think we talked even longer about uh, affiliation than we thought we would. Uh, I'm not surprised, though. Nor am I. But look, now we are we had a kind of an open-format podcast, JJ, so we're going to take some of your questions – Podcast, podcast questions that were either tweeted at us or sent to us at uh, podcast at com. you can do that anytime uh, for any of our weekly podcasts and we also want to remind you that starting uh, February I guess it's 20th 21st or is that Monday After so the college baseball season starts the 17th 18th, 19th, so the 20th we'll start our weekly Monday college baseball mm-hmm. podcast and we're going to try to add a video Skype chat between myself and uh, Aaron Fitt debating uh, one team of the day in our top 25 and bring one of those debates uh, to you before so we could load that quicker than the actual Longish College podcast. So looking forward to the college season. Uh, J.J., why don't you, you start first with uh, what are some of our okay. uh, email and Twitter questions? Okay,
1: so here's a, uh, a tweet from Aqua Aquanark, I believe, uh, asking, is there a non-zero chance that Xander Bogart sticks at shortstop?
0: Non-zero, yes. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's out of the question. You know, because some unlikely, of these guys, it's yes. unlikely. Some some guys, you know, are early bloomers, JJ, and they do they do stop growing. Like with Miguel, I think this ties into Miguel Sano pretty well. Uh, I see people assume that Miguel Sano is moving to first base or maybe an outfield corner. We both saw him. And he, how much more does that guy have to fill out? Right, he's six four, two thirty now.
1: We had this discussion at the time. Like, yeah, you could say I could say I can see where that would happen because maybe he's on the Miguel Cabrera path just he's earlier on it which is he's 235 now and by the time he's 25 he's 275 the thing but is at that Miguel Cabrera
0: time, there wasn't an in between Miguel Cabrera was 62 180 when he signed he was like 190 maybe 200 when he was in the big leagues you look at the picture we have the we have the media, the recent the Marlins media guy from 2004 sitting right over here somewhere he's skinny he's on the back look at his face he's skinny when he got to the major leagues, he wasn't a, a, a fat guy. He got bigger, and, and I obviously got to the big leagues when he was 20, and we'll see what age Miguel Sano really is. We don't really know. We believe he's 18. I happen to think he's not headed for 270 pounds, uh, we but we just don't know. I happen to think that Troy Glouse was 6'5", 240, and does not move, right. as well as Miguel Sano. So I'm not going to rule out no, Gelson staying at third base, just like Troy Glouse at age 30 something played shortstop at that size for the Toronto Blue Jays, and that was a crazy mistake <laughs> and a stupid thing to do. But I'm not ruling out hey, Xander Bogaerts. I can play third now. Yeah, I'm not ruling out, but the, right, the signs but the signs point to him moving off shortstop. Right. The you would have to be the exception,
1: especially yeah. You look at it in that organization also, and you say, okay, the likelihood is is he's going to move either the third or a corner outfield spot right. is where he's going to end up being.
0: I think the standards for shortstop defense are, are getting back to being higher than they were the last during the Mitchell Report era. Um, as offense declines, first of all, if you have an offensive player who can hold his own at that position – then you have Troy Tulowitzki and you have a two hundred million dollar player.
1: Actually, which leads in, we'll, we'll tie it in because we have another question. We have a question from uh, Dan Smith, uh, Dudo Dan.
0: See what I did there? I, I did that on purpose.
1: Nice, nice anyway. Thank you. And uh, he said, "What are the chances Troy Tulowitzki, Twitter, you got to shorten it. Uh, can win an MVP?
0: I like those chances, JJ, but I do not like it for twenty twelve because I'm wondering what the Rockies. Uh, they've been all over the map this off season. It's been an odd off season. For the Rockies, and I like the move they just made. Um, trading, the trade for Jeremy Guthrie. Yeah, trading uh, Jason Hamill and Matt Lundquist. Uh, oh yeah, you got like that uh, for uh, Matt Lindstrom. For Lindstrom. I was about to call him Lundquist. I knew that was wrong. Uh, Matt Lindstrom for Jeremy Guthrie. I, I do like that move quite a bit, actually, for the Rockies. Uh, I don't know that Jeremy Guthrie's a you know a natural guy to succeed at Coors Field, but. I think that, Matt, that Jeremy Guthrie is just going to be energized by being out of Baltimore. I mean, that's just, <laughs> just got to be a, a huge benefit. And we've talked about this before. I think you know, that their la- inability to develop domestic prospects has really been a, an issue for them. But uh, I still don't see starting pitching being enough there especially with Juan Casio's injury last year. You can't really depend on him. Although the
1: early reports are he's... They are. They're positive.
0: That's that's great. You just can't... You pencil him in. You You put in Julius Sassin and and Jeremy Guthrie. I think you have a good idea what you're going to get out of those guys. But the the National League West, I don't don't think it's uh, completely wide open, but I do think it's more wide open than most divisions. On a year-to-year basis, I think it's the most competitive. Uh, I'll say this,
1: though. You see what they've done in the last year, essentially, and... I think they have put himself in a better position. and This is where a Guthrie signing helps them because they have gone out and gotten pitching. You know, Pomeranz. Right. Good is, point. He, Drew Pomeranz is is needs to be a key part of the 2012 Rockies. I agree. You figure with the offense, the offense they have the they have the pieces, enough pieces, and all that. The offense should work out.
0: And I think from a pro, from a prospect standpoint, I think it also merits mentioned that it looks like Alex White's going to be part of their bullpen in 2012. Uh, if he's in the big leagues, it's going to be in the bullpen, which people have been talking about that's... since his college days. He never got the slider back. I'll admit, I was a Alex White believer that I thought that he would be able to remain a starter. But uh, to me, if you have if you spin a breaking ball, you spin a breaking ball. It's there or it's not, and he he lost it. Yeah, he it never came back to him. A guy who had a plus slider in high school completely lost it when his arm action changed in college. He added a splitter. That's a plus pitch. I think he has a chance to be a real impactful. Uh, back of the bullpen guy JJ as does Rex brothers along with the veteran Betancourt. um so the back of their bullpen could be pretty exciting but uh their rotation to me is a little shy for the National League West I also didn't like trading Chris Iannetta for them I, I did not like that deal for them they've kind of um completely overhauled their their infield and, uh, and behind the plate too so it's really Carlos Gonzalez and Troy Tulowitzki's team and then we'll Very see how the, so. and we'll see how the pitching goes uh, in Colorado but so I don't I don't see a, an MVP this year, but I do well, see you, 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 that, eventually. and it's like, wow, Todd Hilton's still there. He is still there. That's the, you know, I mean, it's just one more year, I think, on the contract. This might be his last year. Um, yeah.
1: Another question. right? This is one's right in your wheelhouse. Uh, this is from M. Hanson324 on Twitter. Okay. If Joe Benson gets called up in June, what kind of numbers do you think he puts up for the rest of the, uh, as a regular for the rest of the season?
0: That is a good question. I, I like Joe Benson as a power speed guy. Um, you know. I also like the fact that uh, he's unpublished offensively, or he was when he was drafted, and he's gotten tons of at-bats in the minor leagues. He's got to be close to you know, between 1,500 and 2,000 at-bats in the minor leagues for his experience level. So I think he's the kind of guy who can step in. At the same time, he's always had some contact issues. So I don't think it's realistic to expect him to hit more than 260 as a rookie. I think it's a 240 to 260 expectation, and the on-base is going to be in that 300 to 320 range at best. I do think he can deliver power, and I do think he'll be an asset defensively. From a fantasy standpoint, if that's the question, I don't think Joe Benson's a great fantasy option for 2012, better for 2013, because I do believe in him. I do believe he's going to be a power-speed guy. I think his defense and the flashes of power and stolen bases are what makes this guy eventually the, the right fielder, if not the center fielder in Minnesota. Um, you know, I had a member of the organization tell me he was the best defensive center fielder in the organization And he was including Denard Spann. So, you know, to me, long-term, he fits in their outfield, even in the next two years, with Josh Willingham, Denard Spann, Joe Benson. I think that's the best-case scenario for the Twins, and they have a lot of center field prospects percolating up in that system. If he doesn't fit at uh, second base, Eddie Rosario, if he figures out how to hit right-handed, Aaron Hicks, we'll see if he ever will. Um Actually, it's left-handed. That's the bigger problem for Aaron Hicks, left-handed. <laughs> you know, the, weird, the one where he gets all the plate appearances. Um, so that's an issue, but but I think Joe Benson's – Ben
1: Revere's still kicking around trying to figure out He's still there, but
0: I, I don't think he's going to be a regular. I, I've always said that, and I – you know, he'd have to hit a ton to be a regular because he's Cause limited in other ways. Yeah, and really he's limited – Power and defensive versatility. Those are just not his – those are not his uh, strong suits. Uh, rolling on the podcast, JJ. Here's a question I had from Charles Anderson, whose Twitter handle is just chucking it at just chucking it. Uh, if you had to give a variance, how inexact are organization rankings by year end team needs versus star power comes into it? Question mark. Well, that's that's a good question because we in the handbook we did have our organization rankings and they're already obsolete. Um, and, and rather, fast, quickly obsolete because it didn't include you, Darvish signing with the Rangers, and it and didn't include the Nationals trading for their top thirteen prospects. But at that snapshot, uh, that's what they are. Organization rankings are a snapshot. Um, the the Nationals, I think, we're our number one organization, JJ, because of their star power, and it starts obviously with Bryce Harper.
1: And and that's when we're doing it. Depth that plays a part. It definitely does, but oh, star no power. Is the most important thing we look at because star the, power
0: trumps the reality of it is, is
1: that if Bryce Harper, that's the way to put it. Okay, there, there, here's an example I always like to give. If you go back and pull out our first prospect handbook, the one Corey Patterson on the cover, right, Fringe, um, and you look at the, the the Cardinals list, the Cardinals list has nothing essentially other than number two prospect Albert Pujols, right. If you're the Cardinals and you said, okay, if you had it to do over again, would you do that over again? You say, absolutely. You know why? A guy like Albert Pujols changes your entire organization. He
0: does. He changes it. That. If you that's, have a Hall
1: of Famer. Yeah. And, obviously, there are a whole lot of guys who we who are we projected impact prospects. We're not saying that they're Hall of Famers. Right. But if Bryce Harper, who has the potential to be a Hall of Fame-type player. I mean, the reality of this is he's, as, we've, as yeah. Jim Callis has said – the best power prospect of ever. the draft era. Yeah,
0: oh yeah, not ever of the draft era. Yes,
1: right. If you have that kind of guy, he by himself, if he lives up to expectations, makes you. Uh, I mean, that you don't. You if you didn't get anything else out of this organization, he would be, that would be one of the best organizations farm systems in baseball right now. No doubt, if he can produce at that level.
0: Because and after trading all those guys it's just about right and that's harder and, than a lot of their draft guys that they've gotten but, a lot of money the last two years and
1: the thing about that is though is, is that because those guys are so much harder to find than the depth the depth you can you can piece your way to depth by signing a couple of you know million dollar guys who you hit on or right. a couple 3 million dollar guys or right. whatever you can't just go out there and luck yourself into uh cornerstone guy.
0: I think the Cardinals are a great example of that, JJ. And I think a lot of people who are Astros fans are asking themselves this question, and we've talked about it a little bit this offseason, with regard to Jeff Luno. I mean, the Cardinals, we never rated their farm system as tremendously high, even though they did have a lot of contributing pieces on the 2012, uh, eleven World Series champions. But for the most part, the recent contributors were, uh, you know, role players. Uh, Jaime Garcia, I'd say, was the only exception. You know, Jason Mott was drafted in 2003. So the guys that were drafted under Jeff Luno... The big contributors were role players, you know, like uh, David Freeze wasn't even drafted by them, but uh, like he was drafted in two thousand. He's a Luno type player, but Alan Craig, Daniel Descalso, John Jay. These are complementary players. We're really never going to rank a farm system that high on that's bay- full of John Jays and Alan Wait, Craig. But and here's guys. the reason: they're useful. But yeah. the reason the Cardinals rank higher now, JJs, they have stars. They have impact. But Shelby Miller, Carlos Martinez, Oscar Tavares could be a batting champion. They have impact talent now.
1: And the other difference, the thing I was going to say, though, is that those players are useful if you have an Albert Pujols. That's right. If you've picked up an Adam Wainwright. That's right. If you've you picked up a Chris Carpenter. If you've developed a Yadier Molina.
0: If you paid $140 million for a Matt Mahal- right, Holiday. Right.
1: If you, if, you have, if you have those stars, yeah. then you need the complementary players.
0: And I, I think their lack of depth and their lack of complementary players was the reason they won 90 games in the regular season. <laughs> you know, They had some really big holes, Second and they filled them. Second base, shortstop. They went out. They, they were able to fill them. They, they found ways to fill those holes, but they would have been better off with low-cost, homegrown, middle-of-the-diamond players, and those are very hard well, to find. Taking
1: They're, it to the other end of the extreme, the Royals are the grand experiment right now of seeing, okay, can you just build a team – from a farm system and succeed because yeah. that's what they're trying to do. Well really the key for them to do that is not finding nine guys who they can put out there who are solid big leaguers. If the Royals are going to succeed, it's because they have to get Hosmer or Andor Moustakas or Salvador Perez or, you know, keep going. I mean right. you, you know, I have what, a
0: better example for you, and that's the Rays. Because everyone thinks of the Rays as the ultimate homegrown team. No, they've found some homegrown stars. But a lot of their other players are not homegrown, right. but like if Ben you're... Zobrist and Matt Joyce. But they've hit on David Price. They hit on Evan Longoria. Those draft picks, and obviously they hit on a couple lower picks in Jeremy Hellickson and then Matt Moore. But it wasn't just first round pick. But they found stars. They drafted and developed their own stars. They've shown, Paul Crawford. They, right? Uh, they've shown, and, and, and obviously it didn't pay out for them. But Josh, Hall, Josh Hamilton, right? They've proved JJ that drafting and developing your own stars—that's the only way that teams like the Royals and the Rays can get stars. What the what the uh, Rays have really done very well, and that Dayton Moore has to show he can do, is find the compliments. You know, find the right. guys who are stars. Get... And especially in Tampa, it's been developing bullpens. I think Joe Madden has a big part of that. And then the the front office has gotten good bullpen pieces. And last year was the first year where we really saw some complementary players have any success in Kansas City with guys like Melky Cabrera and Jeff Francoeur having the years they had. But otherwise, they really haven't found complementary players from outside the organization. They've drafted and developed guys who look like they're going to be stars in a comparable fashion, I think to Tampa, they haven't developed the pitchers yet. Guys have had success at the big league level, and they haven't shown me the ability to to fill in the the, the complementary players on the out. You know, Which, although we've had this guys. discussion,
1: the thing for the Royals right now is this: it's not time for it's, as I see it, it's not time for them to find the complementary players yet. Right. Because first, you have to find who your stars are.
0: I I kind of agree because you with have to there.
1: you have to put that first, the stars part. And I think you're right. That's the thing that's worked with the Rays so well is is if you have those stars then you have something to build around. Yep. I think and you so. have to have but you have to have those stars. Then but we
0: have another question from a longtime uh podcaster, uh podcast listener and Twitter follower, uh, Japers, Japers, four thirteen, asking uh where does Cespedes and Soler fit into our personal top one hundreds? JJ he's talking about the Cuban defectors, Jorge Soler and uh UNA Cespedes. I think it's fair to say that Cespedes would be in our top ten. For me he'd probably be right around nine or ten. Uh, I'm Which not sure have if I have to take say, where the answer
1: is right now is, is neither of them are in it because to qualify for our top hundred, they actually have to. Great point. They have to uh, be signed. That's so. an
0: important point. But for me, yeah, he would be right in that same range. I'd probably have him after Jerickson Profar. Nah, you're
1: giving, don't give away too much here. This is mine. Oh that's yeah. not, that's not, not mine actually.
0: Uh, he'd be after Jerickson Profar for me, and I think he would be probably after Manny Machado. Uh, that's a tough one. I think he'd be after Manny Machado. Um, but he'd probably be ahead of last year's draft pitchers like Trevor Bauer, Garrett Cole. That's a tough call for me, JJ. He'd be in that seven to 15 range. I'd have to really hammer down a spot. And Jorge Soler, uh, you know, the, the guy's going to start an A ball and he's 19, 20 years old.
1: I uh, considering the track record of Q of Cuban guys coming over, I'm, I'd say, to me, he's kind of in that 50 to 70 range for me.
0: That's fair. That's about where he'd be. I, I You know, I had, say, for example, Leonis Martin at 74. I think he'd rank ahead of Leonis Martin. Right.
1: That's, yeah, that's a good way to kind of you know, look at it. He has a
0: higher it. ceiling than Leonis Martin. Clearly not as close to the majors. But he'd be behind guys like a Javier Baez out of last year's draft, a Hawk Julie. You know, Michael Choice, I like, compare him to Michael Choice to a corner guy, right fielder. You know, Michael Choice is going to double-A this year, and I know this guy can hit 30 home runs against professional pitching because he did it. Jorge Soler has more tools. He's more tooled up. But he has more adjustments. He might to have higher ceiling, but more adjustments to make. So I think he'd be in that discussion between that 55 and 75 range for me. So great question, uh, as usual, from Japers. And we have uh, one more.
1: We have a couple more, actually. Uh, Eddie Mara- Mariel, uh, which is uh, – I think it's just at Eddie Mariel – I uh, said, please pick a few prospects who m- might make an impact in 2012. He's looking for big league impact. Well, in I, I, I'm gonna, I got, I'll take the easy one.
0: That's fine. Matt
1: Moore. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that guy uh, is gonna make an impact in 2012.
0: He is an easy one. I think Matt Moore. I, I, there's another easy one, Mike Trout. There's another easy one that's you, that you, Darvish. I, I'm also gonna say Devin Mesoraco, one of your guys, J.J. And I'm also gonna say Zach Kozart, who is one of the tougher guys for us to rank in our top 100. Because you're talking about ceiling versus floor. And, you know, to me the point is that his ceiling is high, higher than maybe we give him credit for because he's an everyday shortstop. And I really do believe in him as an everyday shortstop. And he's got uh, – and those are hard to find. I think he has offensive upside and the ability to play shortstop defensively. Um, I'm actually pretty bullish on Zach Cozart as a, a stealth um in you know, national league rookie of the year. Oh I winner. Can see it. I, I can... think he's as ready to contribute and to be an everyday player because as any rookie the, the, uh, outside of Moore and Trout. He has some power.
1: And Darvish. He has some power. I mean, he doesn't have a whole lot of speed but he's also shown an ability. I don't think I think he's one of those guys who you look if you're looking at it from a fantasy standpoint, yeah. you look at the steals that he had triple A. He's gonna get double digit steals, I think. I, but it, I was gonna say that I don't don't expect to see what he's seen from him completely in the minors because he he's just to Joey Votto. Did he had the, the
0: one year where he stole thirty, the rest of his career's been more like at that ten to twelve range. But, but I think I, that's much more
1: realistic. But I think of him much like Joey Votto. If you look back at Joey Votto's numbers in the minors, he always stole and at a successful rate. The thing that happens with a guy like that is is that you get to the big leagues and not having that plus speed. Right. Not, I think you get a little more. You more tend to stay a little closer to first base because you you're not going to steal as many of those where you go. Hey, this guy's so slow to the plate
0: that I can just. I think he's savvy enough that if he stays healthy and plays, 100, say, 130 games as the everyday shortstop for the Reds, you're going to see 10 to 12 stolen 10 bases. 10 to 12, that is yeah. Don't that's expect that. Yeah. And I'll give you that. I think he's going to hit double digits. Right. I, I don't think he's going to steal five bases either. He's not a burner, but he's not a slug by any stretch of the imagination. And that's the thing. He doesn't have one really big carrying tool. But I think he's about a 55 defender, 60 defender. That's average for a big league shortstop. Uh, I think he's above average for a big league shortstop offensively, especially in terms of his power. So I think you're looking at a guy who can hit 260. The, right. Hit the to, average is probably 10 10 not going to be great, runs. but
1: that's you know what? If you, I was going to say, if you can play defense and hit for some pop, yeah. as a, you can. He's not, you know, because the reality is is that
0: he's not going to be a star, but he, I think, he is going to be a competent everyday shortstop.
1: And the other thing with that is is that it, at the start of the season, he will be probably batting somewhere like seventh or eighth, right? Depending on how things shake up, because the Reds really still. Don't know what they're going to do at the top of their order. And in some crazy world, I wouldn't even be shocked to see him get some at-bats, you know, in the two-hole or something like that. He
0: almost makes more sense than Drew Stubbs at the top of the order. Uh, I know Drew Stubbs... To me,
1: to be the one to make... Yeah, Drew Stubbs makes much more sense batting six.
0: At least with Stubbs, you're guaranteed to see at least three pitches per bat He's going to probably strike out 200 times. So uh, you're going to see at least three pitches. J.J., I'll put you on the spot, is Mike Montgomery of the Royals. Going to be a 2012 big league contributor.
1: Contributor, yes. Impact player, no. I don't, okay. I don't think. I think he's. I think there's going to be too much. Especially if you're again, if you're talking about it from a fantasy standpoint, there's going to be too many adjustment outings to say you know that. But man, we the, the questions keep coming. So this is uh, Chris T. Uh, Chris J. Traeger okay. asking who should Twins fans be watching as number two pick options.
0: Well, that's a that's a good one. That's a, actually, we have a bunch of college questions I was going to say for our next college podcast, um, but I figured we could go ahead and get those uh, out of the way now that we have to draft one too. Um, first of all, I, I think it depends on what the Astros are going to do at one. Uh, I think the best case scenario for the Twins is that the Astros and Jeff Luno and uh, you know, assistant GM Bobby Heck decide that they're not going to buck tradition and draft a high school pitcher first overall. And if they go with Mark Appel, the Stanford right-hander, or if they go with Devin Morero, the Arizona State shortstop. I think those are the two most likely guys to go first overall in the draft. I think then you're, after that, you're looking at Lucas Giolito for the Twins at number two. And he fits so many things the Twins need. Mostly he throws hard. Really uh, hard. He throws really hard. Hopefully the Twins let him long toss. And I mean that seriously. I think not they will, I, I, I will, they've, they've become more uh, open, mo- more tha- open tha- to the long toss. That's a whole other podcast, JJ. We probably should go <laughs> ahead and have a, a whole podcast about that to just to annoy people even more about it. But um, more and more clubs are open to that. Um, but I do think Lucas Giolito makes all kinds of sense for the Twins. Uh, they need a power arm. Uh, and he is the best power arm in this draft. And they aren't going to be the ones outlaying a maximum of $7.2 million to a high school arm. So, to me, it makes a lot of sense. Well, but and that's your best-case scenario. You, have, I do, I don't you like, also
1: have a certain – it's a minor thing, but it does make a difference. You have much more of a certainty now yeah. that that you're going to get that guy, and you're going to get him pretty quick.
0: There's just no way that Lucas Gilio is going to turn down. I think this, the bonus it's, value there is $6 million. The, the best way to put it is, is you're not going to turn, gonna turn down.
1: down being number two because the reality of it is is you already know – there is no uncertainty now.
0: That's right. There's no I've, way three years from now that Lucas Duda is going to get a Steven Strasburg major league contract for fifteen million dollars because those are not allowed in the rules right. anymore.
1: Right. You know that you can't get that. So right. the oh yes, you could come back in three years and instead of getting six, you could get eight. Right. Well, maybe. You know, that's if you go number one overall. Exactly. And if the you know allotment goes up uh, every year, if if that all happens, you could make two more million dollars yeah. in a perfect scenario. Well. And that I love that college. risk, that risk is not worth.
0: I love college, but I'm not, I'm not going to recommend that to any player to turn down six million dollars at a high school when the chances of you making more are so small now. So that's that's a big change in the rules, JJ. Um, so that's your best case scenario. I think your other possibility uh, that has to be looked at is uh, you know Joe Mauer with his health issues last year. The Twins are very shallow in catcher depth in their farm system. They don't have any, so outside of Chris Herman, who's paid, who's never caught, I don't think, more than 70 games in a year. So uh, you could look at Mike Zanino um, uh, with with Florida. Uh, this is a franchise that, uh, you know, they have some ties to the Florida program. Kevin O'Sullivan used to be a coach, a minor league coach in the twin system. So Mike Zanino would be another, I think, a very likely option, J.J., uh, we've got a couple more uh, questions. Let's let's wrap up with these two questions, okay. and we'll we'll, we'll close actually, here.
1: Actually, one right here that we got. One you may want to you can you can skip if you want. But Bobby Mitchell, jo-
0: Joe locates the answer is no, not yet. Um, um, I did not show plus makeup. Actually, wait, no, actually I did. I'll relate this story. Joe asked me about if I'd be able to get over the Austin River shot that I show plus makeup, and uh, my 12-year-old nephew is interning with us and staying with us for the last two weeks. He's not interning. He's- He's no, he's offices. helping out. He's doing some office help. But uh, but he had to, uh, you know, I watched the Duke Carolina game with him. And, um, J.J., I, had, I used baseball terminology to help my nephew get over that game sooner yeah. than he would have otherwise because he was not handling that loss very well. And it's pretty good to have a 12-year-old watching the game with you so that you don't act like a 12-year-old when, you're, when the game doesn't go your way. And I just basically told him he had to wear it. And uh, sometimes you just have to wear it on Facebook when your friends are giving it to you. You wear it, you don't let them see that it hurts you. So, Joe, that's my answer. I'm only going to answer that because it's Joe LeCates, and he deserves an answer, J.J. But Bobby Mitchell asks, what are our thoughts on St. Louis Cardinals' Matt Adams? And, boy, Matt Adams, it was a good offseason, a good 2011 for him, J.J. First of all, he hit 30 home runs in double A. Second of all, uh, Albert Pujols is gone. So I still think Matt Adams has obstacles in his path but it sounds like his power is 100% legitimate. I'm pretty fascinated to watch this guy and in Triple-A and if he gets an opportunity in St. Louis, he's he's earning his way toward an opportunity and there's a lot more opportunity now than there was a year ago. The guy can hit.
1: Yeah. I mean that that, that I was talking I remember talking to uh John Rodriguez the the Quad Cities manager about Oscar Tavares last year and he would he you know was raving about Taveras's hitting ability. And the, the point he made was, he said Taveras is the best hitting prospect we have in this organization. He said, "Well, him and Matt Adams." That's interesting. Like he put him on that same, you know, that same threshold as far as the ability to put bat on ball. And Oscar Taveras has a really, uh, <laughs> an extreme uh, ability to put bat on ball. So that's that's saying something for Matt Adams to put him there with them.
0: Good stuff. That's all. Go that was, that podcast turned out better. Uh, than an open-format podcast uh, has any right to do. But that's thanks to uh, all of you who listen. I want to remind Alan Vandergriff and Susan Ugai, I hope I'm pronouncing Susan's name correctly, that we will get to their college questions on our next college podcast. I'll see if I can't do one of those with Aaron on Monday, actually. It would be fun to, to start off early and to preview the weekend uh, with a podcast. Uh, but lots of great questions on Twitter, on Facebook, Baseball America, all over the social media, especially has taking a – very active role now on our Twitter and Facebook page. So, if you don't already like us on Facebook, I uh, encourage you to do that. Forty some thousand strong on on Twitter, uh, close to fifty thousand oh, no, followers now. So, uh, so join the group, and uh, plenty of subscribers here to the Baseball America podcast. And reminder: JJ and I will also be on. If not, I think actually, well, it'll be JJ and guest on Sunday on the Baseball America show on Sirius XM at 7 o'clock Eastern time. So for JJ, I'm John. We'll see you next time on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.